Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing, who will be part of the CanMed 2020 conference in Pasadena, California, this September 20th through 22nd. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager of Medicinal Genomics and a proud member of the CanMed 2020 team. Head over to CanMedEvents.com to check out our Phase 1 schedule, which includes presentation topics from 20 of our invited speakers and abstract presenters. We will continue to add to that lineup throughout the summer, so be sure to sign up for email alerts so you don't miss any announcements. If you sign up on our podcast page, canmedevents.com slash coffee talk, you will also be entered into a drawing to win two tickets to our CanMed 2020 VIP dinner. On this episode, we talk with our CanMed 2020 Cultivation Keynote presenter, Seth Crawford of Oregon CBD. Seth and the team at Oregon CBD specialize in turning out new, exciting, and unique industrial hemp varieties designed for maximum yield and large-scale production. Their early adoption of disruptive testing technology and large-scale breeding techniques allowed Oregon CBD to produce a number of industry firsts, including the first high-cannabinoid content auto-flowering CBD plant and the first pure CBG, CBC, CBDV, CBGV, and CBCV field-ready varieties. His presentation at CAMED 2018 was an instant hit, and as I mentioned in our conversation, Seth was mobbed with questions from attendees immediately following it. I know because I was trying to get an interview with him and had to wait for the crowd to clear. We dig into some of the details of that CAMED 2018 presentation, particularly the process his team uses to develop unique, stable hemp seed varieties. Seth shares his thoughts on where the hemp industry is headed, as well as some of the challenges the industry is facing this season. I also noticed when I listened back to the recording that Seth dropped several references to the year 2021, which could offer some hints into what the keynote presentation he has planned for CanMed 2020, which happens to be titled, Cannabis 2021, The Golden Age of Discovery? We are excited to have Seth as a keynote at CanMed 2020 this year, and we are excited to see you there as well. Go to canmedevents.com now to see our ticket pricing options and get your ticket today. We are currently offering early bird pricing through August 1st. We are also offering a 100% refund to ticket holders should CanMed 2020 need to be postponed due to COVID-19. Rest assured that we are working closely with the Pasadena Convention Center to make sure that we can provide a safe environment for our staff and attendees. And as of this recording, the event is still on. But just in case, we have updated that refund policy. Go to our website for more details. That's cammedevents.com COVID-19. I also wanted to thank this episode's sponsor, Advanced Nutrients. Founded in 1999, Advanced Nutrients was the first to develop a complete nutrient system that unlocks the true genetic potential of the cannabis plant. Since its inception, the brand has introduced more than 50 innovations to the cultivation community and continues to revolutionize the space through proprietary scientific discoveries. Their most recent innovation, Advanced Hemp, 
is the first all-in-one fertilizer that is backed by 20 years of science and specifically formulated to assist growers who are looking for higher yield CBD counts. For more information, visit advancednutrients.com. And finally, we're proud to say that this episode of the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast is fueled by the Hemp and Coffee Exchange. The Hemp and Coffee Exchange is a grassroots Tampa-based coffee roasting company creating progressively sustainable consumables combining two of the most genetically diverse plants on the planet, hemp and coffee. Hemp coffee is a healthy, delicious, natural product rich in trace minerals and nutrients providing sustained energy without the crash of regular coffee. For more information, check out hempcoffeeexchange.com and use the promo code DRINKHEMP to get 10% off your purchase. Okay, without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Seth Crawford of Oregon CBD. Hey, Seth. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ben. I really appreciate it. Of course. And let me say, the team's really excited to have you as our keynote presenter for the Cultivation Focus Area uh, for CanMed 2020. Your presentation at CanMed 2018 was a standout for sure. Um, And I might have a question or two about that as I'm a novice when it comes to plant breeding, but I'm still very interested in it. Um, And if others are interested, and I imagine you are if you're listening, but I encourage you to listen to the, um, Seth's CanMed 2018 presentation. I'll put a link in our show description so you can check that out. But if I remember correctly, and you could tell me, but I, I think you were mobbed after the talk with people asking questions and maybe handing you business cards, which is always a good sign. So we knew we had to have you back as a keynote um, and that we were sure that you'd have new data to present. So I'm wondering, we're dying to know what is it you're looking to present at CAMED 2020 this year? <laughs> Most definitely mobbed. Uh, it was <laughs> it was fantastic to get that kind of response from folks. Um, I, I think in a lot of ways, what what we're doing <clears throat> up here in Oregon, and I, I, there's other folks around the world that are engaged in this, uh, in in similar levels as us. Uh, but what we're doing is really dramatically different from uh, from previous cannabis breeders, and the the things that we've been lucky enough to uncover uh, both on a, on a phenotype and chemotype and, and now even uh, genotype level um, is just distinct, right? It, it, it's different from, uh, from what's available and we're continuing to push that forward. So this year we're really excited to be able to talk about um, some of the, the breeding projects that we're working on, obviously, um, both the, the collection of the pheno- uh, phenotype data, chemotype data, genotype data. Uh, we're going to give you a little bit of an update on our collaboration with uh, Oregon State University and how, how that's going. Uh, there's a number of very interesting fronts there. Uh, we're going to look at some larger uh, population genomic studies that we're engaged in. Uh, both, uh, Remember when, uh, when Kevin was on talking about his presentation, uh, the Eurofin SNP chip, um, we're participating in that with some of our, uh, some of our F2 varieties. Um, along with some some competing approaches that are really looking at identifying <clears throat> structural variants that are present in uh, the cannabis genome, uh, and specifically structural variants between individuals within the population, as that seems to be where a lot of the the most interesting uh, interesting examples pop up in terms of uh, uh, 
new new genotypes that express uh, new chemotypes and new phenotypes that are much, much more uh, acclimated for specific types of production. So we're really excited to be able to sh uh, share the findings. So obviously, we're, we're still in the process of gathering all that information, um, but we think that it's going to be a, a significant a revolutionary shift in the way that cannabis is produced based on a lot of the results that that us and others are collaborating on finding. Excellent. Now, are you still very much at this stage looking for, you said variations, is it in regards to, um, you know, cannabinoid expression, terpenes and sort of potency sort of things? Or are you looking also at, you know, actual plant structure or drought resistance and things like that? Uh, all of the above, yeah. Um, and, and again, any good breeding program, uh, you know, you really have to narrow in on things that are really, really critical for specific projects. So I would say that the answer to that depends on the project that we're working on. Um, but we do have some some awesome trials going on with uh, OSU uh, over the summer. Um, we've got 10, uh, 12 different states as of this afternoon that are engaged in uh, a multi-state land-grant university variety trial uh, to be able to assess what kind of uh, differences emerge in different ecosystems, uh, whether it's from flower timing to disease resistance to uh, water usage. Um, a number of other trials going on here in, in the Western United States, specifically focusing on water consumption. Um, that stuff's all, all really interesting. But I think some of the, the biggest breakthroughs that we're going to be looking at uh, for 2021 um, are, are really coming down to chemical, chemical data uh, and chemical changes in the plants. Uh, as, as you're probably well aware, the, the USDA has made it fairly difficult um, for industrial hemp farmers to continue to grow large fields of cannabinoid rich plants, uh, specifically CBD plants, in part due to the underlying uh, genetic predisposition of the CBDA synthase to produce some residual THC. Um, but we have uh, actually figured out a way to basically get around that. And uh, we've got some wonderful, wonderful plants that are very, very rich in, in cannabinoids, uh, CBDA, uh, CBDVA. Uh, CBCA uh, and have great olfactory characteristics as well. So these are these are plants that have wonderful terpenes um, and other compounds that are responsible for making the plant smell. I think this is going to be something that everybody comes to understand a little bit better in 2021. Uh, but yeah, we're we're really excited about these uh, these new chemotypes and being able to get them into farmers' hands to allow them to continue successfully producing low cost cannabinoids for the public. And. Now, Oregon CBD is specifically focused on hemp, correct? Yeah, I mean, here, I and I saw the the in in your list of questions that this was going to come up, and I I'm, my PhD is in sociology, so I'm going to just step back and say, uh, any dichotomy, any sort of external definition that we place on the cannabis plant is a social construct first and foremost. There's uh. More more similarities between a plant that has a say a THCA synthase that's active and a plant that has a CBDA synthase that's active um, outside of those genes. Yes, those two those those two synthases end up determining what's legal uh, in in most countries uh, in the world. However, it doesn't necessarily 
demarcate an actual difference between plants. So everything's cannabis. Um, we got into the industrial hemp space just because it didn't have the same uh, plant count restrictions that the, the THC production space had. And we knew if we wanted to actually breed plants the way that you, you need to, to, to move this crop forward, you were going to have to have really, really large numbers, uh, access to an actual bank account, uh, <laughs> relationships with universities and other, other institutions. Um, and, and that was, that was really the way to move forward. So when you say that the way that you're doing breeding is different than kind of traditional breeding that's going on in the cannabis space, is that what you mean that you're able to do it at this large scale and, and kind of do it the proper way? Yeah. And when we say proper way, um, not just scale. So obviously with, with any type of information, the, <clears throat> the larger your sample size is, the, the more accurate your, your underlying uh, data is. Um, in our case, we were really bucking the trend. And, and this is uh, that it's present in uh, the THC breeding side. And I won't say that all THC breeders are doing this, but because it's illegal and it's essentially still an underground activity, even for the folks that are operating in state legal production uh, programs, um, there's always, you know, the the uh, overhang of, of federal interference, which means that you can't run huge, huge numbers and you have to focus on some very specific characteristics. Um, you also don't have the, you know, the, the freedom to do five generations of inbreeding uh, with a specific variety before you outcross it to create your, your field ready versions. So in the, in the THC side of things, uh, a lot of times you see people that are taking sour diesel and crossing it with purple kush and the resulting plant is purple diesel or <laughs> sour kush or, you know, whatever it happens to be. But <clears throat> in reality, uh, you know, the, the offspring of those two plants, well, you're going to end up with, you know, maybe one out of 20 phenotypes. That's just amazing and great for production, you know, and you can clone that and then grow your, your small canopy on the THC side. From a breeding perspective, you just created uh, an absolute mess of genes. It's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's not going to produce a uniform crop. Uh, we call it, you know, polyhybrid pollen chucking is the term that's used <laughs> by, by people that are, that are doing the actual line breeding. And line breeding is difficult. Um, you know, it, it takes years to do, you know, the average development cycle for one of our varieties is about three years. And that includes, you know, from the time that you actually identify your standout in a, in a population to inbreeding it in isolation tents, uh, self-pollinating repeatedly for generations, uh, and testing each one of those generations to figure out which plants have the traits that you're looking for, both from a chemical, phenotypical, and, and uh, now uh, uh, genotypes as well, um, making sure that you're getting what you want. And then once you've identified 10 to 20 standouts, you know, four or five generations into that process, uh, you then outcross and perform field trials. And those field trials are where you actually get to see uh, which of your inbred population, uh, which of your inbred plants ends up producing the best field production populations. So we end up, you know, in a, a situation like that, we may think we have 20 amazing plants, but in reality, we narrow it down to one or two that ends up becoming a, a production plant. Um, you know, we, we throw away 99.9% .9 of, of what we start with. And that's a, oh. that's a different situation. I think most of the folks in the, the THC world are accustomed to. That's going to be heartbreaking in a way. <laughs> you know, sometimes progress requires death. Uh, it's the, the plant breeders on staff. Um, we all, it's, it's so funny. Uh, we all obviously deeply, deeply love uh, plant life in particular, but at the same time, we know what our goals are 
it's sad to cut plants down, but it's also to a certain extent a relief. You know, you're 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 taking the unknown out of the field for a farmer and replacing it with something that you know is going to be a stellar performer. So it's you know, yes, it's sad, but at the same time, there's a, a bit of joy knowing that you're actually making the gene pool better. And are they just completely scrapped? Is there any way stacks? To... Oh man, stacks and stacks of plants. Stacks of plants. Uh, yeah, no, they're gone. They're done. Um, wow. we, we obviously we store their uh, we store DNA uh, to go back and figure out, you know, hey, what was what was wrong with this particular uh, phenotype, genotype, chemotype, etc. Uh, but no, we we literally just we compost them. Okay, now I want to step back a bit because you're kind of talking about your process of you know taking a. a creating a new variety. And you had a, sli- a great slide about this um, in your presentation in 2018. Um, but I, I'll, I'll fully admit I got a little lost. So I don't know if you can kind of help me. So, yeah. so you start with your two parent lines and you get your F1s. Take me through there from there because there are some terms like back crossing and selfing that I'm just not familiar with, but I'd really like to try to kind of understand the, the process here. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And and on that slide, uh, what what I was basically starting off with were two very diverse parent uh, plants, and what it would take to actually go through and, and identify segregation in your resulting population. Um, the the more common approach is to take two plants that you think are are distantly related, and inbreed each one of those lines repeatedly over and over and over until you get to the point where you have a, a highly homozygous uh, plant. It's basically um, it's homozygous at, at most critical loci in a way that leads to predictable phenotypes and chemotypes. So let me uh, stop you there. So you yeah. have the two plants, you cross them, you have a generation after that. Um, so yeah, you're step, saying that you're step oh, back ahead. from that for just a second. Let's say you find a, let's say you find a, a plant that has a, a great chemical profile, regardless of where it came from. Uh, the next step in that process is to self-pollinate that plant. So that plant's going to get inbred. And then you're going to pull the seeds off of that plant uh, and you're going to grow them out and do exactly the same thing. Identify the, the ones that have the characteristics that you're looking for, uh, self-pollinate those, collect the seeds, and basically start the process all over. Um, okay, so you're continuing of, to, to self-pollinate. You're not actually crossing it with... or. Um you know, crossing it with a sibling or anything. It's, it's also through self-pollination. Uh, that's the quickest way to achieve homozygosity. Um, okay. so what you just described as say, let, you know, you say you've got a great chemical, uh, result in the initial plant that you have. Another way to do that is to, uh, take one of your self-pollinated seeds and then back cross it to that original mom, uh, that had the right chemical profile. We we tend to stray away from that in part because of what I was describing before. Um, the fact that most of the cannabis varieties that are publicly available are very very heterozygous, so they're they're a they're a, a total mess, and that self pollination ends up leading to uh, less variation and a, a tighter likelihood, much higher likelihood that you're going to get what you are actually looking for. So to take that and then back cross, sometimes that works to lock in the trait that you're looking for, but more likely than not with the current population of cannabis that's present in the world, uh, you're going to end up with a, just a bigger mess. Okay. So 
Where, where'd we stop there? So we're in the F2s. Where do you go? From <laughs> yeah, <there? laughs> that's where the magic happens, to be honest. It's uh, in your in your S2 population or your F2, um, S2 is best because then you're, you're not crossing siblings uh, and it's a, it's a strict self-pollination regime. Um, mm -hmm. You're going to find plants that uh, are, they have the maximum amount of diversity that's present in, in cannabis, in the F2 population. Uh, you're going to see tall plants. You're going to see short plants. You're going to see plants with giant calyxes, small calyxes. Uh, you'll see a diversity of olfactory uh, compounds that are giving them uh, distinct smells. And so just, that I don't mean to cut you off, but just to review. So this is the, the product of that original cross between the two distinct lines. And then that self upon um, self pollinated, that's creating the F2s that are, have a lot of different varieties. Do I have that right? Uh, you can do it that way. Yeah. Okay. Um, you can definitely do it that way. Uh, I guess what I was getting at is, uh, from a, yeah, from a developmental standpoint, if you've got a, a plant that has the chemicals that you want, generally what you're describing right now is, uh, give you a good example. We've, we've been working on, uh, Varens, <clears throat> CBDV, uh, THCV, CBCV, et cetera, uh, for about four years now. And, once we had finally found some plants that had very high concentrations of the varins, it turns out that they have really poor structure, not great smell, horrible flowering time. Like they're, they're plants that you would just throw away normally. Uh, but it does have that specific uh, ability to produce uh, divernalic acid. So we take that plant and we cross it to a plant that has all of the other characteristics that we want, but is missing mm -hmm. the divernalic acid component. And uh, in that F1, then we go through and we look for the plants that have the highest concentration, that have the best structure, et cetera. And then mm. we go through exactly what you just described. Yeah. Got it. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. So, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Or no, no, it's, it's kind of, I mean, you know, this is uh, the, the downside of audio. If we had some video on here, I'd, I'd throw some slides <laughs> up for you. It would make a lot of sense, but... <laughs> Right. All right. So you're in the F2 and you're seeing all the, this different variation. Um, so then I imagine that you find the best performers and then what, repeat that process again? Exactly. Yeah. You inbreed those. Uh, and basically we, we like to repeat as long as we possibly can. Uh, one of the issues that we run into is uh, cannabis, does, it's an obligate outcrosser. It really likes to outcross to other other plants rather than to itself. And in a lot of cases, uh, these plants become sterile fairly quickly. Um, and it, it, that in and of itself is a, is a inherited trait. And it's something that we select against, um, at first in our populations. Uh, but yeah, you basically just do it as much as you possibly can with the goal of, I mean, we've heard this a lot lately, this, this notion of flattening the curve, quote unquote, you mm -hmm. know, taking a, a large, you know, what would end up being a large distribution of people and in our case traits and spreading it out. So what we're trying to do with cannabis by inbreeding it is to reduce the amount of variability that's present. That's the curve that we're trying to flatten. You're trying to create something that doesn't have variation so that when you do outcross it, uh, you're going to have something that breeds true for very particular characteristics. Great. So yeah. So explain to me outcrossing. So you're doing all this, this inbreeding to stabilize, and then you say that you do an outcrossing. What, what exactly does that mean? That means you're, you're actually making the F1 seed. So your, your true hybrid seed, uh, that will go into a field for farmers. Um, that's like, it's the, uh, you've done all your homework and now you're doing the presentation. 
uh, it's it's out in the world for everybody to see. Got it. So you're basically just planting it in the field. Yeah, and and, and what what's required to make that F1 are two independently developed, highly inbred lines. Uh, and okay. like I was saying before, uh, got you, you gotcha. may have like you know you may have 20 plants in one of those lines that all seem great, but when you cross them uh, to make your F1s, maybe they don't perform as well as. And, and this is always the case. There's one or two plants that just outcross exactly the way that you want them to uh, and perform better than all of their siblings. So yeah, two independent lines to create your one line that actually goes out to farmers. Excellent. All right. Well, that's that was very helpful. Thank you for that. Um, so you guys are constantly doing this, coming up with new varieties. What are some of the new and interesting ones you've come up with or that you're... Um, the new and interesting varieties that you're excited about, what are they? Uh, the big ones for 2021 are um, all compliant. So the USDA gave us this insane, uh, well, it was Congress, but USDA is enforcing it. Um, this scientifically inaccurate 0.3 total THC uh, concentration limit. Uh, and there's a lot of questions in the in the industrial hemp farming sector. You know, does that mean 28 days before harvest? Does that mean 14 days before harvest? Does it mean the day of harvest? Does it mean final products, et cetera? Um, that's it's been really difficult for uh, for folks who are on the the traditional CBD side of breeding to accomplish. Um, we're really really excited. In addition to our pure CBG, these are type four plants uh, that we've uh, been working on and, and been in various stages of field trials and public release since uh, twenty late twenty sixteen early twenty seventeen. Um, in addition to those, we now have uh, type three plants. These are high CBD plants that even on the day of harvest and even after you've trimmed them and they're in a, you know, in a store or for sale online, uh, they are compliant, hundred percent compliant with that 0.3 total THC uh, requirement. Um, in addition to having a number of different unique compounds that I think are going to be uh, really useful for people and enjoyable, I think on the, on the consumption side as well. Excellent. And how has this season been for you? You you mentioned the the farm bill. Um, how has that sort of how has that shaped your season? Uh, hurry up and don't do anything. It's kind of the, it's kind of been the mantra. We've been waiting for the FDA to issue some guidance. Um, I know a lot of the manufacturers of CBD products have been waiting for some guidance from the FDA, and that has had a a very depressive effect on the entire industry. Um, looks like there was some overproduction in 2019. Mm. Um, you know, we were we were basically being yelled at by farmers across the country for not being able to supply enough seeds for them. So uh, we we built out a an infrastructure capable of producing enough seed to supply the entire country, and then uh, the market shrank by about 75% this year. Um, wow. So. Uh, we're, we're fine. It has definitely been trying. Uh, and I know that farmers are in a similar circumstance as well, mostly because they're sitting on product from, from last year, uh, and basically just waiting for the federal government to give the green light, uh, to, to have it out in the marketplace. Um, I think that's going to continue for a little while. Uh, we do know that, that Congress is willing to act to be able to tell the FDA, Hey, uh, it's time to move forward with with cannabinoids, which I think is a, a very exciting, very exciting uh, moment. It's been a long time coming, but it's going to open the door up for other compounds as well. So not just CBD, but but the whole pantheon of of cannabinoids, including THC, uh, to be able to get into uh, 
both the food supply and to be legitimate as something that people can consume. Now, one of the things you mentioned in your presentation at CAMA 2018 that stuck out to me because I am a craft beer enthusiast was these cannabinoid-free varieties that could maybe be used um, in beer with the terpenes and everything as almost a a substitute for hops. Um, How is that going? Uh, really well, really well. They're, they're really neat plants. Um, in addition to, to being useful for, for, uh, beer flavoring, uh, which to be perfectly honest, you could do with, with other, uh, other cannabis plants that have cannabinoids in them as well. But this just happens to get around a lot of the regulatory hoops. Uh, they're, they're really, they're really cool. Um, they also are able to produce some, some other interesting compounds, uh, that go along with, the, the terpenes and the other olfactory um, components uh, that would be very, very useful for uh, basically a- anti-inflammatories. Um, so it, it's something that we're, we're really excited about getting out, um, working on improving them for disease resistance and uh, getting them out into the marketplace. The one thing that I would say, though, at this point is that the, the hop industry is, is fairly small compared to the cannabis industry. Um, so it's, it's definitely a niche market, but it's something that we're excited about just from, a both a craft brewing standpoint. And then the, the union bring, bringing, uh, bringing hops and, and cannabis back uh, together in some really important ways. Yeah. And I know that you had mentioned that hop farming doesn't seem fun. Um, <laughs> what did you mean by that? Oh, they're just, you know, 20 foot tall binds and you have to replant, you know, 20% of, of all of your, your hops every year from downy mildew infections and that kind of problem. Uh, it, it's, it's hard and very labor intensive to be able to get the components, uh, from a hop that are a lot easier, uh, to do with a cannabis plant. And you, you don't have the issues of, uh, you know, long-term disease pressure um, popping up in your field. So it's less pesticides, less reinvestment every year for the farmer. And to be perfectly honest, uh, cannabis is capable at this point of producing more of the compounds that uh, people want from hops uh, than the hops are themselves. I know another thing that you guys have been working on is sort of auto flower varieties or early flowering lines, um, sort of what's the difference between those two terms? And then I guess a follow-up to that is will photo period crops kind of be a thing of the past? I think, uh, true photo period crops. Um, well, should, I should hesitate on this. Uh, they have a place, but you have to understand the, underlying genes that are responsible for flower timing and to be able to identify the variants that will get you where you want to go in specific places. So mm-hmm. photoperiod plants will have a future, but it's it's more about gene stacking uh, and being able to use those to get you into a period where uh, harvest is going to be preferential. So like a place like Tennessee or Kentucky, for example, they have a very wet August and September, and then everything just kind of dries out in early October. Um, again, with climate change, this, this is obviously going to fluctuate a little bit. But for for folks like that, you want to have a, uh, the ability to harvest early and then also harvest late to maximize the useful uh, usefulness of your space. Um, so I think there is always going to be a, a place for photoperiod plants. Now, to step back, the difference between a, a autoflower and a photoperiod plant is one is uh, considered day neutral. That's the autoflower. It'll it'll flower under 24 hours of light. Um, the photoperiod plant 
is flowering based on relative day length. So what we found, um, so we created the, the first in North America, the first autoflowering CBD plant in 2016 and created the first autoflower photoperiod hybrids in 2016 as well. Um, did a bunch of field trials in late 2016 uh, and then again in 2017 to demonstrate the efficacy of combining these two distinct germplasm lines. And what we found was, was really interesting and driven home uh, in 2018 even more so. When you take these hybrids containing a auto, an autoflower gene and a photoperiod gene, when you take these hybrids anywhere in the country, uh, they all react to photoperiod changes in exactly the same way at exactly the same time. There's some slight variations depending on which photoperiod gene you have. But what it looks like is that these early flowering hybrids, um, you can clone them, you can, you can maintain them, uh, but they, they go into flower roughly two weeks after uh, the peak of summer. So early July across the country, all of these, these plants go into flower. And what it looks like based on the literature is that this is uh, basically creating a little bit more sensitivity to a shift in red light spectrum. So the plants pick up on that and go into flower. So uh, some, some pretty good examples in the literature about mechanisms and other model organisms uh, using these same genes. Um, but we just happen to pick up on it and be able to use this uh, in our hybridization process to be able to create these F1s that are predictable in flower timing across the country. And that's a, a huge advantage to farmers. Um, you know, what, what folks figured out after the first couple of years is that if you have a plant line that was developed in Colorado and flowers consistently and, you know, it's done by early October, if you take that to a different photo period regime like Florida or Vermont or Oregon, um, the plants respond in a, in a very different way and you'll end up, you know, not finishing until December in Oregon. Um, so being able to have that predictable flowering time is a, a huge benefit to farmers. And one of those great examples of where more knowledge that gets generated by everybody who's engaged in this process in the cannabis space uh, ends up leading to much better, much better products and better outcomes for farmers. And again, this is particularly useful for outdoor cultivation, which correct me if I'm wrong, is much more common in the hemp space than the cannabis space. Um, and why is that? Uh, cost of production. Um, it's free sunlight, free, free soil for the most part. Uh, the, the cost of production outside is uh, much, much lower than in the, the indoor space. Um, and as long, to be perfectly honest, the only reason why indoor cannabis is still grown uh, outside of producing seed for large-scale farmers. On the THC side, it's only because of, of prohibition. As soon as you drop that, that requirement and, you know, strange requirements like, uh, you know, 12-foot tall fences or an enclosed space and, and those sorts of things, the, the total cost to produce outside just makes it much, much more likely that people will be engaging in that type of production behavior. Now, so at Oregon CBD, you guys seem particularly focused on, you know, resinous big buds producing cannabinoids and terpenoids for, you know, whether it be supplements or pharmaceutical applications. Um, are you guys interested at all in maybe going after the other markets of, you know, using hemp as a fabric, a plastic, a fuel, building material, anything like that? Uh, yeah, very much so. Um, although, you know, the, the main 
the main take-home message on this is that other countries, because they had legalized industrial hemp ahead of the United States, I think they're a little further along in, in terms of their breeding programs for things like fiber or uh, seed. Um, I think I think that we have the tools to be able to, to catch up relatively quickly. Um, and some of the things that we're really excited about for 2021 is being able to introduce uh, new varieties that can do those things, particularly on the seed side uh, for, for consuming seed <clears throat> as, a, as a protein source, as a uh, uh, basically as a nutritional supplement in and of itself as a food. Um, and then also being able to grow uh, your cannabinoid rich crop right next to that and being able to safely do that without having any seeding. Yeah, that was one thing I wanted to ask you about, because I, if I remember correctly, you were, you had an Instagram post sort of about being, being good neighbors and being careful not to grow male hemp outside. Um, so I was wondering if you could kind of talk about some of the dangers that come with, uh, with that. Uh, yeah, if, you're, if your crop gets seeded, um, you're going to lose 30% of your overall cannabinoid content. You're going to lose 50% of the weight of your crop. Uh, just because the plant's putting all of its energy into seed production rather than cannabinoid or floral tissue production. Um, yeah, hugely, hugely problematic. Uh, it, it makes the production of certified seed outside also very difficult. Um, there are a number of different issues that come along with it that farmers really, you know, at the end of the day, they're just trying to grow a crop that's going to make them money and it's going to benefit people. Uh, and it's, it's something extra that they shouldn't necessarily have to worry about. Um, we are very confident that in 2021, we're going to be able to release uh, seed lines that make that concern obsolete. Like we've, we've figured out a way to get around that. Um, and the result, um, we're so excited about this. The result is, I think, going to push forward the envelope of what people even consider possible with cannabis. Um, it's the early results that we're seeing in our experiments are uh, the most resinous, the most pleasant smelling, uh, most vigorous plants that, that we've ever experienced. And we've, we've been growing cannabis for uh, pretty close to 20 years now. Um, just amazing evolutionary jumps forward. Uh, and we're really excited to be able to talk about this uh, in depth at CanMed 2020. Well, that's a great place to stop if I've ever heard one. Um, <laughs> but before I let you go, I want to give you a chance uh, to plug your website or social media or anything. Where can people learn more about you and Oregon CBD? Yeah, our uh, website is OregonCBDSeeds.com. And we are on Instagram and Facebook as uh, Oregon CBD. We're 41 strong scientists, plant propagators, uh, folks that are taking care of greenhouses. We've got a, a great company, family owned and operated, and uh, we're just really excited to be providing farmers with quality seeds that they can depend on. Excellent. Like I said, we're, we're more than happy to have you and um, we're happy to work with Oregon CBD. Um, we're, as you know, a family operation over here as well. And I think we kind of see ourselves as sort of cut from the same cloth in the regard that uh, we both try to do what we can with good science and good old-fashioned hard work. So, uh, again, happy to have you as part of CAMED 2020, and we'll see you out in Pasadena this fall. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, Ben. I hope 
hope you enjoyed my conversation with Seth Crawford. I always learn so much talking to him. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And please also check out OregonCBDSeeds.com. The Oregon CBD team has added some great content resources lately, and they're definitely worth a read. Next episode, we welcome Brianna Cassidy of CDX Analytics. Brianna is the lab director at CDX, a full-service cannabis testing lab in my hometown of Salem, Massachusetts. We discuss the challenges that come with testing cannabis flower, including sampling bias and the lack of standardized methods. Brianna also shares her approach for evaluating new testing technologies, a topic she will explore in more detail at CanMed 2020. That episode will drop June 24th, two weeks from this episode. In the meantime, please go to canmedevents.com slash coffee talk and sign up for email updates. That will enter you into a drawing to win two tickets to our CanMed 2020 VIP dinner and keep you up to date with all things CanMed 2020. If social media is your thing, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for CanMed Events. And lastly, if you are listening on a podcast app, go ahead and hit the subscribe button so that new episodes automatically download to your device. And if you want to leave us a five-star review, that'd be great too. All right, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to come back for the next episode of CanMed Coffee Talk.